Hey, you got the morning show with Aaron, and in the studio I've got Cam. Good morning. Good morning, Aaron. We're going to talk about addiction, specifically opiate addiction, and uh, we're going to talk about your story. Okay. That's, that's the plan. That's the plan. Um, uh, but before we get into it, um, why do you, why are you talking to it? Because this is the thing you do. You don't just want to do it on the radio. You want to do it with other people as well. So why why talking about this now? Um, the main reason is I've, um, I'm a firm believer in um, that uh, there's too much silence and too much hush-hush about um, opiate addiction. Yeah. Um, I want to be able to tell my story so that, um, first of all, so my past addictions and that actually uh, doing some good, you know, get some good comes from it. And um, I want to speak out because the more people that speak out about it, the more it gives the people that are hiding and suffering in silence... Um, the confidence or the normality of um, speaking their problems, their addictions, their, their story, yeah, their yeah. story. And yeah. So you, I mean, you haven't been using like hard drugs for donkey's um, ages since eh? I was twenty-eight. I, yeah. I stopped using um, the needle. So that's about yeah. twenty years ago. That's about twenty. So years it was. Ago. It was 22. the ne- So it was heroin. It was, was heroin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it was actually morphine sulfate, and we used to turn it into um, heroin, free base heroin, which is diamorphine is the real name for heroin. Okay, mm. a lot of us don't know. No, <laughs> no, I didn't know before I knew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that so that's a little bit of, a little bit of background about why we're going to talk about it. And um, but but how how did it get started? And what age were you when when you first started down this path? Okay, well, like first of all, I never planned to be a junkie or a user. You know, yeah, needle. It, yeah. it was just a chain of unforeseen circumstances and events. You know. Yeah. Um. So, mum, my mum had cancer. Um. And from the age of about, I was about 12 when she could, got cancer. And um, at about 14, um, I realised that she uh, wasn't taking the morphine. And um, she was still getting the scripts filled by the doctor because she felt it was an insult to the doctor if she didn't take his medicine, but she didn't. She just, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I went in the cupboard one day and found a shoebox full of morphine pills. Right. And um, a friend of mine's brother was in, into them. And so I asked him, well, actually, I took a handful. Me, me and my mate took a handful, went yeah. out, got really sick. And um, and then... Uh, so it wasn't actually a positive experience? It wasn't. It was a real horrible experience. I was sick for about a day and a half, just throwing up constantly. Wow. Yeah, and I, I found out later that we had taken far too much and I could have overdosed quite easily. Yeah. Um, but then I found, got hold of my mate's brother and bumped into him and... Uh, Told him that his drug that he was taking was horrible because he had always we'd always heard that he was on it and said it was lovely, and said, "Oh, your drug's horrible, mate." And he um, offered to show me how to use it properly. Ah, yeah. And um, I was I just turned fifteen, I think, at that stage, or late fourteen, and um, I still remember the experience of my first shot. Yeah. Um, I I felt actually normal. I remember him. I had a fear of needles, and uh, we're in this toilet. And um, I was sitting on the toilet seat. He was standing in the doorway. And um, I had just put my arm out and I was looking away. And I felt him blow on my arm. And I just, bro, stop blowing on my arm and just get it in there, mate. You know, I just want it done. And uh, he said, mate, it's already done, mate. And I turned around and looked at him. I still remember this so vividly. He was standing in the doorway. And he just looked down at me and said, ooh, you like it, eh? And I just, <laughs> I just said that I felt normal. I didn't feel high at all. Yeah, I just felt like how I should feel, like just a warm, comforting feeling. You know, I've heard people say it's like a, a like having a blanket 
It is. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, um, it's like the unconditional love, warm hug of your mother. You know, it's like um, they call it mother's milk, and um, it, it is like that. It's just the absence of bad. It's really, it's not a high. It's the absence of yeah. bad that you don't even know you're experiencing. Because I think for people who, who don't know anything about it, they expect that that you you're. It's a thrill. That's right. Yeah, and and they see people on TV and that, and like they have heroin and. They sort of not. It's called going on the nod. So they're like falling asleep and they can't speak properly. Um, that's people have had too much. Right. So to have, I, I always had a measured dose. I had a business. I had seven staff um, throughout my um, addiction. And uh, so this is about self- up until your twenties and yeah, after you left school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like yeah, fifteen. I was already fifteen. I left school pretty much the day I turned fifteen um, and started full time work as a an apprentice. Yeah. Um, construction sites in Auckland City. And um, about six months after that, I had my own business. So you could function while you were on it. Yeah, totally. And I was actually, the, the misconception of it, because they see, and I can't blame people, because they, all they see is what they see on TV. They don't yeah. see the average junkie or average user of needles and stuff. And um, so the people that are having too much, yeah, they nod out and dribble and stuff like that. But if you have the right amount, you can function totally normally. You're healthier than you are when you're not on it. Because um, opiates actually are like a cure-all. You don't get colds because um, codeine and stuff is the main function of cold medicines. Yeah, made um, yeah. ingredient and codeine is a derivative of, of opium, um, which is heroin. So same, you're same so you're with. painting a very positive picture at this point. Yeah, yeah, and it 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 can be, except two things. It's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> so that gets you in a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. It's really expensive. It was costing me $300 a day um, just to get rid of the withdrawals, not even get high in the end. I, I was Right, because that's the problem like with most drugs, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah. is. And especially with heroin, because heroin is different to like methamphetamine and LSD and stuff in the fact that it's physically addictive. And people will say that, oh, methamphetamine is physically addictive, you know, you can't do without it. But it's not until you've been an opiate addict that you know what real addiction is. And yeah. you still get the cravings and the want and the all-encompassing need to function with it, like you do on methamphetamine or speed or al- or alcohol. But you, if you you have that as well as pain, it's like the worst food poisoning you've ever had. And every minute seems like every second seems like an hour, and you know you've got days of the come down, and you just feel like you can't do it. Like I. I tried to go through withdrawals numerous times over that the time. Just cold turkey. Just cold turkey. Yeah. And um and and, and also weaning down. Um, but when it comes to the cutoff point, and it started that three days of withdrawal, that the actual physical pain, um, I couldn't handle it, and I tried to commit suicide every time. Um, I got oh. <clears throat> mate found me hanging, um, and the rope broke once, and um, the guy talked me out of it. And there was the three times I tried to give up. Um, and it was just, it's just unbearable. It's like you're turning inside out. And because opiates are actually a pain uh, blocker. So that's what they are. That's what, you've got an opiate receptor in your brain that everyone has. And because we've been having it for so long. And we must make our own, <coughs> our own opiates. Well, it's thought that we, um, we, do, ha- we do have um, opiate uh, like endorphins yes, in okay. our, our system, yeah. our hormones, but um, it's actually thought that we've been having it so long as humans, like the Chinese people and throughout history, we've always used opium, 
as a painkiller and as a medicine, and it's been, been in humans so long that the brain has actually developed an opiate receptor. The only thing that fits is the opiate molecule, so it's waiting for pain relief. So, but but what, I think something you've told me in the past was that mm. because you're using that, your body, that your body does have pain relief mechanisms of it its totally own. It totally does, yep. But they yep. stop doing yes. the job because yes. they don't need to anymore. That's right. So right. when you, because it's an opiate, um, uh, sorry, because it's a pain reliever, um, your body doesn't need to make any pain reliever itself and your pain threshold is, becomes lower and lower because you're, believe it or not, we're all in pain all the time. Sitting down, if you think about it, your bum's a bit sore, your foot's a bit sore, your leg, your aches, yeah. you know, there's little things that happen. And we, so we have a threshold of sort of a level where sore is, you know, unbearable or um, it's cap- you, you can cope with the pain. Whereas with heroin, because it blocks the pain receptor, when you don't have it, that pain, the blocker is gone, so everything you do is painful. So the withdrawals is like... So you can't even just sit still? No. You sit there and it's like sitting on burning embers. You touch something and it's like touching razor blades. And it feels like your skin's inside out. The air hurts on your skin. It's like a newborn baby. When they come out, they've never experienced pain before. And it's related, it's, they often relate to it that in rehab. that When a baby comes out, the air, that's why a baby screams. The air on its body, it's building its threshold of pain up. So the air hurts, the breathing hurts because it's never experienced the actual pain of outside life it's before. It's been in the womb. Yeah, that's literally right. Literally the most comfortable place. Yeah, so what we're, when you come off heroin and stuff, that's what you're experiencing, the pain through the roof. So back to the start, you, you said you, you were using your mum's unused morphine. Did she discover that you were doing that? <sighs> Unfortunately, and, and to, to say right at the back, mum passed away when I was 18. Yeah. Um, so when I was 17, yeah, she, um, they f- I left a needle... Um, I'd have moved out of home already, but I went home to visit and got some pills and had a shot in the bathroom at parents' house. And I left and left a needle in the sink by mistake. So I got a phone call to come home, and I went home and, yeah, so they had found the needle and then took a look through the morphine. And um, I had had actually gone to the stage of, uh, I used so many of them, that I'd actually gotten disprins and cut them into a shape of morphine and painted them with nail polish to replace the ones so it didn't look like I'd taken any. Oh, wow. And when they had them all tipped out, I saw what a, I'd used different colour nail polish. I had cut them like so roughly. But at the time, when I was high, yeah. I thought I was doing a great job. But it was obvious they were not <laughs> the real pill. Yeah. And mum, that was one of the worst days of my life, seeing mum's disappointment. And she felt guilty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it was her morphine. Um, but I reassured her it wasn't. I went, to please them, I went straight into rehab for six months. To Odyssey House, yeah, and got out, and then Mum passed away, um, and I was drug free for those six months in Odyssey House. Do you think it was a success for that? Odyssey House is one of the best rehabs I've ever been to. I've yeah. been to pretty much all of them, and right. um, <laughs> yeah. So um, <clears throat> with Odyssey House, they, it's a three-year program. <clears throat> well, it used to be when I was back then. Um, it's, I think it's changed a bit now. I think it's two years, but it's total abstinence from drugs. You they. It's like the army, so they lock you up. They don't need you to go out. You don't see any of your relatives or friends for the first three months. But yourself, you choose to go. I cho- yeah, You yeah. can be sentenced there by courts as well. Okay. So it's a mix. Yeah. When I was going there, there was about 150 people um, at, the, at the Bollard Girls Home, which is Odyssey House in Auckland. Um, and uh, I thought it was great because it kept you busy. You know, you had chores. Every, the whole place is run by the addicts. Yeah. And um, 
it's it was just a real good atmosphere and it showed you that you could live without drugs. Unfortunately, I didn't want to live without drugs. Right. I only went there for my parents. So when I came out, I discharged myself after six months and went straight back to the using. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then I had to buy it, which was a big difference than ah. for the first few years, four years or so. I had it free. And then all of a sudden I had to pay, at that stage, $100 a hit. And although I was working, it still takes $700 a week. It takes a bit out of your pay packet. Well, this is like the 90s, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It was... Um, yeah, early nineties, early nineties. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so hundred dollars was not quite this. Was no, it was more than now. That's right. Yeah, yeah. so seven hundred dollars was a massive. I was self-employed by my own business, so I could afford it. But when the checks didn't come in, I was using material money, the boys' wages, um, and I was a drinker as well. I was a heavy drinker. Uh, used to drink a lot, <laughs> like yeah. a couple of bottles of 40, 40 ounces. It got up to the stage where I was drinking two forty ounces to go out before we went to the nightclubs. 40 ounces of? Of, uh, of whiskey. Oh, right. Yes, I drank two one-litre bottles of whiskey, or so, 1.25. So none of that's sustainable, eh? None of it's sustainable, mate. You can't sustain, like, there's no um, way that you can actually, well, for one, funk, have enough money to do that, um, yeah. to live that life, and it, get, it just goes up and up and up. So there's no end to it at the end, like I say, it was $300 a day, and I couldn't earn that money, so I was wheeling and dealing. I couldn't go to work because I was trying to earn more than I was actually getting at work, even though it was good money, and uh, but I needed more than that, so I was wheeling and dealing to get $300 a day, every day, because work didn't pay till the 20th of the month. What were you wheeling and dealing? I was buying drugs and selling them on, okay. and, and um, just getting drugs for people and making money out of it, and stuff like that, to get my hit, and um, yeah, so that's sort of what happened. Mum dying was a definite... Um, a lock on the coffin of, of addiction for me. Yeah. Um, it put me into massive depression and I slipped my wrists, 117 stitches. And I think I cut 10 times in one arm, 17 in the other. And uh, just wanted to see mum. Yeah. You know, she was, a, she was everything to me. Yeah. Um, and that sort of locked my addiction in. I just used that. Instead of grieving, going to grieving counselling, I just used the heroin. All right. Yeah. So everything's very dark at the moment. Yep. How how do you have to? They talk about hitting rock bottom before you decide you really want to do something about it. Yep, yep. And I, I did that, mate. I, I yeah. got to twenty about twenty five, twenty six, and started researching ways to get off the ship. Yeah. And um, it, I knew that I discovered that you had a psychological addiction and a physical addiction. Okay. And I had to get rid of both. Yeah. Um, it's not just one or the other. Um, so I did a bit of research in the physical addiction. I could deal with later um, through, I knew there was a treatment overseas yeah. that I could go for. Um, and so I got on the methadone, um, which wasn't easy. It was a two-year waiting list. Um, really? Why? Yeah. Back then, it, you had to get approved to go on the methadone. And so it was a registered drug and only so many people were allowed on it. And so they had, someone had to come off the program for someone to go on the program. And that's just how it was run. From, from where I'm sitting, that seems a bit crazy. But anyway, we'll just crazy, take it as given. Methadone's crazy. You know, they give you methadone's a heroin, and they give you heroin to get off the heroin. You know, so really, they're giving you legal heroin to get off the illegal heroin. But the stuff they're giving you is harder to come off. The addictions, the withdrawals are worse, probably 10 times longer. But it can be regulated, so you don't have to be a criminal and you can get out right. of that criminal world yeah. um, and just go to a chemist, and that's what I did. So I drank it properly. But just back a step, yeah. what, 
the rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah, so the rock bottom was really for me, the money was one thing, but I could have dealt with that. Um, but it was the fact that I was running out of veins. And it would take me three hours to have a shot, and I'd be in the bath in hot water because you sit in hot water to make your veins swell. Yeah. And I'd, I'd shot into my neck, my jugular vein, both of them, collapsed both of those, um, and pretty much every single vein in my body, uh, even below my waist, um, you know, crutch, um, eyelids, uh, forehead, I'd used every vein. Did you, were you a bit of, did you look a bit of a mess? Um, I was pretty scabby because um, it makes you pick an itch, and you know, also pick yeah. pimples and stuff like that. But the track-wise, you only really get tracks if you're using blunt needles. If you're using a new needle every time, there's no such thing as tracks, really, because um, okay. I, I varied the use as well. But I was using a, a drug called Marzine um, with with um, methadone or with heroin, which is stuffs your veins, so that stuffed every vein in my body. So it was taking three hours to have a hit, and then even after that three hours, I'd shot so many times that I'd mixed it with blood and watered down the gear. Yeah. So by the time I had the shot, it didn't even get rid of withdrawals. So I had to go out and score again just to get rid of withdrawals so I could not go high, just live. Yeah. Um, and that became unbearable. I'd just be sitting there crying in the corner of the bathroom, covered in blood, holes, and it was just over. I just didn't. I was sick of being sick. So did you, did you have to find the strength to do it, or was it just so motivating in itself? That it, it was so motivating. I just wanted to get. I knew about that treatment, this yeah. treatment um, that we'll talk about in a minute. And um, but I knew that I had to get on the methadone first and deal with the social, the, the psychological addiction. So I rang the clinic up every morning for um, at, at seven o'clock in the morning and said, "Can I come in?" And they said, "No, it's a two-year waiting list." And I rang every day. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, for six months, and um, got to know the lady on the other end of the phone. Yeah, and um, she said, "Why are you ringing?" I said, "Because I want to get on the program, mate. You know, I'm not sick of this shit." And um, she one day I rang up. She said, "Oh, look, it's your lucky day. Someone's cancelled an appointment. Come in now." Yeah. So I run and got on the methadone, and I used it properly. I drank it every day, unlike most people that are on it. This is will... something we don't know. Most of us. Yes. Hey, yeah. That... Yeah. So methadone is abused. And it's abused because people think it's a free high. so And it is. It, it's heroin, and they don't need to go out and score it. Um, but um, methadone is um, it's diverted. So they, so most people, and I'm not tiring anybody with a brush, but in my experience, yeah, um, most people that are on the methadone are abusing it, and they tend to divert it, or which is it's called diverting, but it's a little cup or something under your collar. Because you have to drink it in the chemist in front of the pharmacist yeah. when you first get on it. And people will spit it into a little cup or a container and up their sleeve or cotton wool in their mouth and then squirt it out afterwards. And they do that so that they can take it home and boil it down and shoot it up. Yeah. And um, so they're up and down all the time on their doses. And that's why they never get anywhere. Um, you'll still get high on it. But if you have it every day, you won't get high and you can start changing your life. You can you can just be normal. You can be normal. So which that's, I was. That's, so that's what you did. Yep. yep. Yeah. And and at the time I had bad liver. I had Hep C. You contracted that from a needle or something. I contracted that from sharing the rinsing water of the needles. It's it's very ninety nine percent of people who use um, intravenous drugs once will get contract Hep C. It's, it lives outside the body for three months. Okay. And so it's really transmittable. Even if you wash the dishes, you, a spoon can still have it on three months later. 
even though it's been through a dishwasher. Okay, so it's, yeah, so it's very, inevitable. Yeah, and um, so I had that, and I was I went to the doctor, and I was sick, and he said to me I had 12 years to live. I was 28, and he said, if you don't stop drinking today, you'll die tomorrow, and the drugs you're using is fucking is stuffing your liver as yeah, well. Yeah, And um, so I really wanted to give up then, and yeah. so that was when I sort of made the change. I got on the... Um, methadone and I came down to Raglan actually to tell a friend that I had 12 years to live yeah. and I never left Right, and uh, changed my life stayed away from all the addicts and that got rid of the physical addiction after two years of staying away from triggers your brain can actually free itself from the um, from the the want the need the physical the psychological addiction of it Yeah, and but I was still physically addicted to methadone yeah, um, and your health still because I knew you then. Mm, uh, sometime mm. after you got to Raglan, and I know that your health wasn't fantastic. It wasn't fantastic. You, mate, you couldn't no. work like a full week. No, no. After a couple of days, uh, Hep C is like um, the real bad flu or, or a hangover. Yeah. Um, so like you do it. I was working as you know a couple of days work, but it would take me four days, and be, I'd be in bed for four days after that. Yeah. Um, and it got to the stage where I probably had a few years left to live of of quality life yeah um i got i I was i was pretty sick sicker than i let on um and i knew it was a death sentence because there was no cure for it yeah um but amazingly enough a cure was discovered um a couple of years before i passed away and i was chosen to go on the trial for it um that that treatment and so were a few people in raglan and uh it was a cure so six months of chemotherapy shooting chemotherapy drugs into my stomach um, for six months, getting down to six stone, I um. Your weight. Cleared. You're normally what? Thir- I was thirteen at the time. Okay. Yeah, I was thirteen stone when I was working there, so I lost over half my body weight. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realise. Yeah. It was half. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Yeah. And I stayed pretty much when I was right down under eight stone. I stayed away from everyone, so no one saw me. Yeah. I, I just felt yeah. Um. But, yeah. that, but it did the job. So, so the, the, job. the chemo treatment got rid of the hep C. Got rid of the hep C, so, and it really changed my life. I, I do digress, but I could go on about it. caused me to become a zookeeper, um, which I never wanted to do in my life, but it, just because I wanted to give back to society, that treatment um, just led to me becoming a zookeeper. It's a complicated story, but... Um, Which we'll you did in Hamilton for a while. Hamilton. I was yeah. a giraffe and zebra keeper for a couple of years. Yeah. Now, we've actually... We've gone over time, but I'm going to keep going because yeah. we've got to finish the story. Cool. We've we got time. Cool, so. cool, cool. Um, so, so, so you got the... You got rid of the disease. Yeah. You're still yeah. on the methadone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you just... Is it a problem just to stay on that for the rest of your life? It was... It's a major, major problem. And it, it, it starts off good, and it was... I can't fault the the methadone for change, giving me the chance to change my life yeah um and um become a normal member of society but um it is liquid handcuffs it's what the people call it that are on it yeah uh, you can't plan anything you can't go on holiday because you've always got to go even after years on it i would have been on it for 14 years or something like that and i still had to go to the chemist twice a week so you right. get takeaways um, you work up to when they trust you. You get takeaway doses, but you still have to go twice a week minimum. But they're never going to give you three months because it is a they're serious drug. They give you three days, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like well, I mean, I say three months because that's what it's. I'm on a, I'm on, I'm on a conventional prescription that yes. you can get three months worth. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And with because yeah. um, of what it is, yeah, uh, methadone is uh, people get robbed for it, mugged, and you know stuff. Sell it. 
yeah. and stuff. So, um, and they've got to make sure you're still taking it, you know. And um, and I was drug tested throughout all that 14 years for other drugs. So they test you to make sure you're clean. Yeah. Um, and uh, But I was still on that and I couldn't, it was just liquid handcuffs. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go on holiday. I couldn't do anything. And I was always worried about the chemist burning down or me missing my dose. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, something. You know, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's uncontrollable and it's, it's horrible. Um, so... Um, but I did know of the treatment that I'd researched for since I was 26, and yeah. it was it's a treatment called which is groundbreaking now because it's hitting the world over the last few years, but it has been around for 20 odd years, and it's um, called um, rapid uh, ultra rapid detox under general anaesthetic, and it's R U D O G A or whatever the okay. abbreviation yeah. is, yeah. Um, and uh, so. What they do is they there's a drug called naltrexone or Narcane, which a lot of people know about. Um, it's the antidote for if you have a heroin overdose. Um, if you go into overdose, they give you this stuff, strips all your body of opiates, and you go full withdrawal, and you'll bolt up right. And they actually have to give you a bit of heroin or opiate afterwards to balance, to balance you out yeah, right, if you've yeah. got a habit. Yeah. And they use it as a preventative for alcoholics as well. If they give you a depot shot of naltrexone in your or a pill and insert it into your leg um it makes it's an agonist so it actually makes you sick if you have alcohol or heroin um so th- that drug there is used at the treat the treatment and uh but they put you under general anesthetic first so so the whole thing happens while you're out while you're out yes yeah. so they give you a general anesthetic and they pump your body full of naltrexone and you react and go into full physical withdrawal and they have to hold you down. Um, you pee yourself. You shit yourself. You vomit. So you it's, convulse. It's, it's all on. It's all on, Man. and it's very violent. But you're unaware. Unaware, totally. And like I had bumps and cuts all over my head, but I've been thrashing around in the hospital bed. So, so how many days are you like this? So, um, what they do is they give it to you, and then um, uh, over about eight hours, they'll give you a little bit every hour, and you'll re- react and react and react, and then they'll think that's enough after eight hours or so and they'll give you a little bit of heroin or methadone to calm you down again and then they'll wake you up so you wake up you don't even know you've been through it and you just feel like you're on your normal dose of methadone and then they do it again the next night and then they do it over a series of nights and it usually takes three nights and by when you don't react to the um naltrexone being put into you they know that you've gone through the physical withdrawals you wake up and you're drug free and it sounds like, wow, why don't they do this everywhere and get everyone yes, off heroin? Yes, that's just the first thought you have. Why can't yep. we do it? Because where do you have to go? So I had to go to Serbia to do it, Yeah, um, which is no mean feat. Um, yeah. And uh, when I originally discovered it and researched it, it was in South Africa, and they used to do it in Australia, but through a lot of logistic nightmares, they, it, they banned it around the world because of a couple of deaths, and which was unrelated, but they sort of linked it to the treatment. And because the medical board doesn't really like it, they, they'd rather people on the methadone because they've got a stockpile of methadone, they can regulate it and stuff like that, whereas this treatment, people can come off the drug for a, for a party, you know, or they get two out of it and they get a big habit yeah. on the drug and they can go through this treatment. But the treatment's expensive. Yes. So I, um, it was 25,000 euros to do this treatment. So, and you'd, so you'd known about this since you were about 26. Yes. Yep. You did it when you were about 46? 46, 46, yep, that's right. And so, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do it, and I, it was cheaper when it was in South Africa and Australia. 
Um, but just when I got the $6,000, which was what it was, to do, I'd finally saved up enough money, borrowed a bit off um, my dad and my sister. Um, they banned the treatment. And then it was only in Europe, only in Serbia, which was 25,000 euros. So that sort of put a halt to everything. And I thought, oh, well, I'm going to be on methadone forever. And luckily, or amazingly, a stranger came in. I was telling that story to a stranger at work. Yeah. And um, she said, well, I'll pay the $25,000. And I said, no, because <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> yeah. And uh, strings and stuff. And I was seeing a counsellor at the time, or a, a, a um, yeah, counsellor. And she said, yeah, that sounds dodgy. And the lady came in to work probably once a week for six months and just kept asking me if I wanted the money. I kept saying no. And then she said I was insulting her for not taking it. So is this something she normally did? Like, um, she Well, she said she was a philanthropist. Yeah. Money was not no object to her and nothing yeah. to her. And she just liked to help people. Right. And um, she said that, I, and that need help and can, you know, get progress and not hand up, not a handout. Yeah. And um, the... Yeah, so after six months, she said I was insulting her, and I told that to my counsellor, and my counsellor advised me, we had a bit of a talk, and she agreed that I should take the money. Right. So I said yes, and the lady came back into work an hour later with a lot of money. Right. Yeah, and um, so I, by myself, went over to the treatment centre Yeah. Um, in Serbia, and uh, it, it was hard on my body. Um you had quite a rough time, didn't you? Like I had more, a rough more time. More than some people might. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was mainly because I was drinking it properly. So if you take methadone as prescribed, it's, um, it, it lasts 24 hour, 12 hours. Uh, sorry, it lasts 48 hours in your system. And, but they give it to you every 24 hours. And that's so that you reach a plane and it becomes the norm and you're not getting high off it, not getting low. You're just staying at that, and it masks all other opiates. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason they give it to you. And I was having it like that. I wasn't going up, wasn't going down, wasn't stealing it or shooting it up. And because of that, it soaked into my body. And the surgeon, because at the clinic, you have a team of surgeons, a psychologist, psychiatrist, anaesthetist, um, massage therapist, doctor. And so you, for 25 grand, you're getting state-of-the-art. This is the best treatment centre in the world. Yeah, it, 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 won, it won last year and the year before for the most successful and um, uh, scientifically advanced um, rehab in the world. Um, they have linked addiction to trauma and only trauma. They well, this is a big discussion which we haven't even t- yeah, got into yet. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah. we have. I've talked about this on on the radio before that they now yeah, the the people doing the research are believing that it's addiction is related to trauma. It doesn't just randomly happen to people because they had a drug once. No, that's right. And and no one one wants to become a drug addict. People take drugs to get high. The misconception everyone, you know, oh, that junkie deserves his, you know, to be in the gutter. But he actually wanted to get high one day when he was 15, like me. Yeah. And it just turned into, never thought of getting addicted, you know, and it just happened. And all of a sudden I was an addict. People get prescribed morphine for a, a broken leg. And all of a sudden they're an addict, and it's not their fault. No one. There was a big scandal in the US about um, oxycontin. Yeah, 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 yeah. and that's here now. So oxycontin and oxycodone. Uh, I've, do you know what I've actually? Norm. I've actually had some of that. Wow. Oh yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> not, not like you did. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, it was because I had a toothache, and and the normal treatment would have. Shit, they, gave you, they gave you that, did they? Because. I was on another drug that, that wouldn't have worked with their normal painkillers. Okay, right. So yeah. they're like, okay, we're going for the big guns now. And I had a really, really nasty toothache. And yeah. I just, like like you said... Oh, this is recent. 
a couple of years ago. Three okay. years ago. Yeah, I just felt very normal. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, it's content. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all it was. Yeah, yeah, and that's all it is, and that's your, that's the exact scenario. But I normally don't. I don't normally feel really bad. No, no. So it wasn't like a big, big difference to me. I well, think. Like if you had had more, if that pain had carried on for a month, they would have been giving you those oxynorms, and then when they said when your pain went away, and they said, okay, you don't need the script anymore, you would have had to go through withdrawals. Yeah, and that's what's happened to people in the US. But we, yeah. we're getting a little sidetracked. Yeah, we are. We are. Where, yeah. um, so, so, so you, you had the treatment in Serbia. Yep, and the treatment in Serbia is that gets rid of the physical addiction. Yeah, um, but there's two parts to it in, in Serbia, and I didn't go on one part of the treatment, which was an ex- extra money. Um, but they actually cure addiction, um, which is a big, big, uh, a big statement. Um, but they actually use regression therapy to take you back to the trauma that they think caused your addiction. Yeah. And they do that by giving you drugs like ayahuasca, yeah. DMT, and Bagani, or Ibogaine, Bagani. Yeah. And um, the psychologist leads you through your trauma. And once you've relived your trauma, this, this is their theory, and it seems to be proven, be proven right around the world. That once you remember your forgotten or repressed trauma um, in your life, then your brain can start dealing with it, and your the the trauma can go from a hidden pocket in your brain to actually being processed, and you can deal with it and overcome it, um, and it's, well at least deal with it. And by doing that, you get rid of the trauma, which gets rid of the addiction. So we, it's a whole course in our soul from that trauma, yeah. and that treatment can fill that. Whole. Yeah, and I've played talks by Gabor Mate, who's a doctor yeah, in, yeah. in Canada, who's, I think he's in Canada, yeah. who's who's doing that as well. And the one I went to was Dr. Vorobiev. Um, yeah. Vorobiev, um, if anyone wants to look it up, Dr. Vorobiev in Serbia. But um, you didn't do this because... I didn't do it because um, after this, you relive your trauma, you, um, you're obviously very upset and you need support, and I was on the other side of the world by myself, yeah. so they weren't willing to give it to me in case... I couldn't handle it. Do you still feel you need that? I mean, you've kind of controlled your addictions for 20 years. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a work in progress, so I, I don't mean to preach. I, I'm not saying that I'm above anyone else, that I'm an angel or anything like that. You know, yeah. I still am an addict. You know, I, I have an addict, addictive personality, and even if I'm drug-free for 30 years, I will still be an addict. Okay. Because I have... the I. I can't say no, really. I'll take a drug and I'll think, why the hell shouldn't I take it again? But you have been saying no. Yes, I have been, but I still use, I have ups and downs, I have debt, I have, um, uh, they say rehab, and uh, sorry, um, uh, they say that, uh, you know, having drugs again is part of the rehab, I can't remember the phrase now, it's um, uh, relapse is part of rehab, they okay. call it that. And um, so I do smoke marijuana every now and again and take some things yeah, every you now said, and again. you still use and then you yeah. cut your own sentence off. You're not saying you still use heroin. No, no, shit, no. I, I yeah. totally – so that treatment that I went on, it can – is good. The Bagani and Ibogaine and Ayahuasca part of it, um, the cure addiction, will work for any drug. But the physical detox that I went on is yeah. strictly for opiates. Right. Because the other drugs aren't physically addictive. Um, everyone thinks that – because methamphetamine's around a lot at the moment, people think that it's physically addictive and that kind of thing. But if you get sleep, if you have five six days sleep, you'll actually you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went for that treatment, and uh, it, it's changed my life. You know, like um, I'm off the bethro now, no liquid handcuffs. Yeah. Um, and it's given me the freedom to actually do what I want to do, which is 
talk and live without her. Um, handcuffs tie me to a chemist. Yeah. Um, I did a bit of a, a, a blurb um, to Odyssey House in Auckland, which is, and the thing I went through was Odyssey House UK, and it's a story about my life. And um, so what they're doing now is getting ex-addicts to go around schools at high-risk drug areas, um, prison release, so people coming out of prison that have been addicts, and then after 20 years in prison, they think, shit, they're too scared to leave prison because they think they're going to become an addict again. Yeah. And so people talking about how they've changed their life and they have become drug-free, it gives people hope. And so I've released the blurb and I've been accepted to go around and do talks at schools probably next year or start, and um, just talk to people telling your story, and it just opens people's eyes to what's involved in addiction because uh, a lot of people don't realise, you know, they think, oh, I'll just have a shot and that'll be it, but or I'll never be a heroin addict, you know. That won't happen to me. That won't happen to me. Yeah. That you always say when you're young. That's right, but through yeah. even what you were saying about your medicine, then that could have caused you to become a heroin addict, you know. Like you would have, you would have come off, you might not have been able to handle the withdrawals off the oxy, so you start buying them. Yeah. And then, oh, they're actually not doing much anymore. I need more. I can't well, afford it, so I'll shoot them up. I was also on an antibiotic to get rid of the infection, which right. took a few days, so it was only for a few days. Okay. Oh, yeah, so, you're not, so you went, what are you saying? Three, four days. Oh, yeah. 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 It, was, but, it was short term. Yeah. I tell yeah. you, it takes three days to become addicted to an opiate. Okay. So not for me. No, no. no well, probably, but it's because you're low dose. You wouldn't have noticed the withdrawals, probably. Okay. You know. Um, yeah, there was a bit. There, like I said before, there's been this huge controversy in the US about that drug oxycontin and, yeah. and people well, getting really their lives turned upside down. And now the new one is fentanyl, and that, that's used here quite often, quite a lot. I had it in the back of the ambulance when I went for an ambulance ride. Uh, they gave it to me. Um, Why were you in an ambulance? Uh, I had a spider bite. Oh, that's right. That, that happened recently, the spider bite. Yeah. yeah. And they gave me an inhaler for the pain, and they inhaled this thing, and I said, "What's that?" And they said, "Oh, it's fentanyl." And fentanyl was like a hundred times stronger per weight than heroin. Did you? Were you very happy about that? Um, not happy, but because my tolerance is so high, even after all these years, I didn't feel it, and I didn't. If I'd have felt it and liked it, I don't think I would use again. Um, I've pretty much got control. I was yeah. just sick of opiates. I'm over that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know if I'd have, you know, like I, I don't even take codeine now. Um, yeah. Not because I'm scared that I might relapse. But just because I don't want to take opiates anymore, yeah, it's, it's the addiction is gone. Like, and that's a good thing about I was saying getting rid of the psychological addiction of a, of a drug or alcohol is the same. It, it is physically addictive alcohol, uh, barbiturates, um, valiums, and stuff like that are some of the hardest ones to come off. And more people are addicted to valium than most than any other drug, um, mm. and it's dangerous. Mm. You know, like you can overdose on valium just with a bit of alcohol. Um, and so they're all physically addictive and um, getting rid of that psycholo- psychological addiction that triggers and that is key to getting off your, your habit. Well, we should wrap up. Yeah, oh, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. No, no, that's all right. I'm, I'm in charge of the, how much time I take. <laughs> I know there's a DJ during 10 minutes, though. Um, but that, the work that they're doing in Serbia, yeah. is that starting to get credibility in the eyes of people around the rest of the world? Because we know how like establishment situation always takes can take decades for people to accept that, it, that something's okay like that. It, it, and it has taken decades because Dr. Vorobiev actually came up with this treatment in, um, in, in South Africa um, like when I was 26, 25. Yeah. I saw a documentary actually on 48 Hours. Yeah. Um, on the, the show that used to be on TV and it was a, followed a guy through that treatment. Um, and 
even once they had perfected it, it still, it wasn't until he, uh, Dr. Vorobiev won the Betty Ford Award for the most successful and advanced clinic in the world yeah. a few, couple of years ago that the, the Western Medicine Society started to pick up on it and go, oh, it must be all right. This, yeah, this they kind of need that kind of... Yeah, yeah. And so he yeah. went, and South Africa, because they're a bit outside the um, FDA sort of thing, or the world medicines, uh, they can do sort of what they want a little bit because um, of the apartheid issues they had. They yeah, were a bit yeah, outside yeah, the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, so, isolated. Yeah, but once that was all given back and it all started to be, uh, for lack of a better term, a white man society again. Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, a mixed race society again. Yeah. Um, the, then the Western medicines took over and so he had to move out of uh, right, right. South Africa, went to Serbia, and because they're Eastern Bloc, they can do what they want, and they that's why they get so advanced. The medicals, the clinic I went to was so advanced that they used to la- they laser washed your blood. They um, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds fancy. <laughs> yeah, it is. They put yeah. a laser in your vein and wash your blood. So, so, so what do you say to, for people who are stuck at the moment? What do you yeah. tell them? Like just briefly before we go, I tell them that don't give up. Yeah, there is hope, and hope is real. And and. I, I'm proof of hope is real. You know, yeah. I've been to the bottom. I've been there. If anyone's sitting there and doing what I was doing, trying to find that vein, trying to thinking that's all they can do, they've got no hope of getting off the ship. Well, there is hope, and that treatment is um, breaking world uh, concepts or, or uh, regimes on counselling and stuff. They're realising that counselling doesn't work as well as they thought it did, um, and the studies prove that. Uh, that people telling their stories and ex addicts telling their stories and not telling people to use drugs or not use drugs, that's not our business. Uh, yeah. who, we've got no right to tell people. Just telling the story. Just telling your story and it just triggers something in someone's mind. They go, oh, I didn't know that would happen if I became an addict. And that will more likely to shut them down and not cause them to use the drug than if someone at the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff saying, oh, yeah. you shouldn't have used that. You know? I feel like we should give... I think I've, I've got a thing over here. Have we got... Um, Mm, I was trying to think of the number to call. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I'm not, I'm not um, dissing NA and all that either. Um, they are good relative, a uh, 12-step program, you know. Monday, Monday night, 7 o'clock at the community house, you can, you can meet NA. Yeah. Uh, community Alcohol and Drug Service, maybe. Yep. Um, yeah, CADS. Yeah, is, Hamilton is, number, 834-6902. I just want to leave people with that, 834. I've turned away from the page. 6902. Yeah. And if anyone, I'm happy to talk to people in, in detail if they want to come through you. Yeah, if okay. Even if they want to talk in private as anonymous, if they want to know about the treatment or want advice or anything, I do a mentoring online for a peer support group and addicts supporting addicts. Okay. Um, so if they want to look up those things or contact you, I'm happy to give advice okay. to anybody. Well, folks, you can usually get our details just online, um, but you can also call the studio 825-2981. So we've been talking to Cam and a story of hitting, going down, hitting rock bottom and getting back up again and yeah. getting life back to normal. You feel yeah. like you have a normal life now. Um, as Well, as normal as anyone else. Yeah, yeah, well, this is true. <laughs> yeah. He really has a normal life. Yeah. But yeah, but hope is real. That's what I've got to see. Yeah, all right. Thanks for coming in, man.